Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig with details. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. This is, uh, this is a bit of an Indiana Jones episode for us, Matt. Oh, yeah, come on. I know, especially you and I, love the Indiana Jones stuff. Oh, yes, immensely, immensely. And I'm... I'm believe we we may have talked before i don't know whether it was on air off air about which of the four you know uh, would be our personal favorites i i gotta say man i blame it on the time in life that i saw it but uh uh last crusade yeah yeah head and shoulders above streets ahead as they would say on the former tv show community (laughs) yeah exactly i can see i can see that argument and you know i generally I I would have agreed with you until I saw the Crystal Skulls. Yeah, that's true. And, yours? and that's I was one. like, this is a masterpiece. <laughs> right. Oh, man, especially the uh, the ninjas that appear. The ninjas. For me, it's all about that refrigerator. 
I, I can't, I mean, that's, yeah. what better piece of cinema is there? I challenge you to show me a better piece of American cinema. Yeah, you've spawned the phrase nuking the fridge, right? That's right. Uh, yeah, and I, you know, one thing I like about that film series, uh, especially in Crystal Skull, is that they include uh, realistic survival advice, <laughs> right? You know? <laughs> Fridges aren't just for food. It's lined with lead, son. And plus, it's padded. Very, very padded. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I did overall enjoy it. Um, and we, and we, you know, the the fascinating thing about the concept of Indiana Jones, which is far from perfect, of course, is that it inspired a lot of people to become actual archaeologists. Absolutely, right? It made it seem a a whole ton more exciting than yeah. the job actually uh, ends up being. Yeah, there's there are a couple of scenes very. Sp- sparsely painted scenes in which he is ending a class or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's it's true also that Indiana Jones was created or inspired by true life stories, people who were adventurous archaeologists, and the field of archaeology is far from dusty or dead and very much not static. In fact, many of the debates in archaeology that began, you know, 40, 50, 100, 200 years ago continue today and people are still really steamed about it. Yeah. Like it's it's all still very relevant to the academy. You know, people have their livelihoods staked on uh, is something that would seem like a, a negligible disagreement to an outsider. That's correct. And and we do always have to remember here, history is continually being written. Even ancient history is being rewritten as we discover something new or something more. And that's what today's episode is all about. That's right. Uh, this may be familiar to uh, to those of us in the audience who watch the Stuff They Don't Want You to Know YouTube series. We are diving into the story of the Dead Sea Scrolls, but not perhaps in a, the way you might assume. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> well, yes, not at all the way you might assume. But first things first, Dead Sea Scrolls, other than a cool name, what are they? Here are the facts. The Dead Sea Scrolls, they're these amazing discoveries. They're also known as the Qumran Cave Scrolls, and apologies for my pronunciation there. It's a collection of these ancient religious documents that were discovered in late 1946 or early 1947. They are written in versions of Hebrew. Yes. Uh, Like varying versions of Hebrew. And they were discovered by these two Bedouin shepherds, just two guys. And yeah. their their names were uh, forgive me, but uh, Huma or Huma and Muhammad Edib, and they were searching for this. Literally, this is what's happening. They're searching for a lost animal, and they find these things. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, you know, Paul, massive favor. Could we get a little bit of kind of Indiana Jonesy music here, just for a second? Uh, something from like the the first or second act. Something building. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Crystal Skulls. So so picture this. These shepherds are hunting for some animal that's strayed from the flock, and they come to an outcrop overlooking the Dead Sea. And as they're looking around for their lost livestock, they see an opening in the face of the rock, a cave, 
right? And caves are relatively common in this area. Not being uh, nincompoops of any sort, these shepherds say, okay, we need to make sure it's safe to enter there. And so they throw some stones into the darkness to make sure that they don't hear a larger animal or predator of some sort reacting. And they don't. Instead, they hear the shattering of pottery. And they're thinking, what? Huh? What? And so they crawl inside the cave to investigate, and they find that one of the rocks they had thrown, by chance, hit an ancient clay pot. And inside this clay pot, which had shattered, there were scraps of leather. And these were obviously very old, but the shepherd said, oh, somebody wrote something on this leather. And then they looked around. This is the cinematic moment where they look from the broken pot and they see behind it as we like focus in. Light comes in somehow miraculously. Mm -hmm. And they, they see that there are a multitude of pots. And these pots also contain stuff. Some of them are complete scrolls contained and others are fragments of previous works. So imagine, you know, that you imagine instead of finding a book, you find like three pages of chapter four, that yeah. kind of stuff. Now, now here is where the story takes a bit of a turn because it truly is a story that one must believe the originators of this story sure. to to <laughs> believe it, uh, that this is actually what happened. But according to uh, what is what is known or what is told, these guys collected all these scrolls up and they kind of held on to them for a little while. They took them to some friends and some neighbors. They were like, yo, look at this. This is pretty crazy, right? What do you think this is? What could this be? Um, and then they ended up heading over to Bethlehem. Uh, this is the nearest commercial center to where they were located over there. Um, uh, it's in, it's outside of Jerusalem, right? That's where yeah. this is. Um, and they wanted to see if they could maybe sell these things to somebody who'd be interested in this, what they believe to be in an ancient relic or a series of ancient relics. Right. And they didn't know how old it was. They, they just said, okay, this seems important uh, and – we live in a very old part of the world, right? So let's find an expert. One of the smartest things you can do in that situation. The shepherds meet a man named Fedi Slahi. Slahi is an antiques dealer. But even he is not completely sure what the shepherds have found. So he calls a friend of his, an Armenian uh, who is also a, an antiques dealer, and says, this is a weird, crazy story. And then his colleague agrees and reaches out to an archaeology professor named Eliza Lipa Sukunik. And Sukunik is Sukunik is interested, right? But we have to remember that this is the mid-1940s in the Middle East, the mid to late 1940s. And these are dangerous, dangerous, dangerous times. Sukunik risked life and limb as a Jewish man traveling to Bethlehem. He made it across the border. He took possession of the scrolls. He persuaded Salahi to let them uh, – to let him take the scrolls back to study them, right? And he is at his home in Jerusalem. He's fluent in Hebrew. But that's – remember what Matt said earlier at the top, the different versions of Hebrew, right? Uh, if you've – if you are primarily an English speaker, just imagine any time you had a teacher that made you read Canterbury Tales 
in the way it was originally written. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you know sure. Um, and uh, something as simple as like the articles are a little strange, like, mm-hmm. and you just don't understand the flow of the language. Um, but here's the thing: as as he's looking through, um, he, it turns out these things they weren't from the 1940s. They weren't from the 1600s or the 1200s. They were much, much older. Right. Yes. The scrolls have all been ascribed to a rough period of time, the Hellenistic Roman period, somewhere between the 3rd century BCE to the 1st century CE, meaning, especially for people who are – devoted to uh, Christianity, meaning that these were written during the time of the historical figure, Jesus Christ. This is this would be contemporaneous or some of this would. Many of these works correspond to the known biblical text, like the the um, the different Bibles you can find in hotels or in the bookstores or, you know, in, in your house or friend's house today. And uh, they correspond to parts of the Hebrew Bible as well, the Torah. That's incredible to find something like that that then becomes – not necessarily these texts, uh, these specific physical texts, but the contents in them ends up becoming what mm-hmm. the Bible is. That's incredible. Um and here's the thing. There's all kinds of other religious writings that are included in there. There are, uh, you know, copies of the scriptures, other non-canonical books that we've talked about. And I, th- I believe we've mentioned this before when we talk – we talked about apocryphal texts mm-hmm. and some of that. So things that aren't included in the official canon of the Holy Bible. Yeah. And in total, there are hundreds of documents found in 12 caves around Qumran, around that area. And the last cave that contained some of these scrolls or pieces of these scrolls was only discovered on – it's crazy – February of 2017. Right. Not that long ago. And that's surprising because even now if you read a bunch of fairly authoritative uh, information about the Dead Sea Scrolls, you'll see the number quoted as 11. So this is very much a case of history in the making. But who wrote them? Yeah. That's the – see, that's the thing. Yeah. Remember how we said earlier that uh, in, in the realm of history and archaeology, there are, there are details that might seem minor to some people uh, but seem incredibly, incredibly crucial to, to insiders in a community or in a discipline. So the question of the providence of the scrolls or the question rather of the original authors is still going to cause debate in the academic community even today. We know that many of the scrolls were likely written by a Jewish sect known as the Essenes who Essenes who controlled the area from the 2nd century BCE to the 1st century CE. They're, they're real people. They're mentioned by Pliny the Elder who locates them or cites them living in the same area. So we do have, you know, we do have proof that they were there. They were real. Uh, They were known to be uh, ascetic in nature, their practices. There are some who may have alleged, uh, you know, mysticism or something in their beliefs. But the problem with a lot of those ideas 
throwing the M word around is that it's off it's often coming from another group. Yeah. And they're they're othering or they're they're attempting to make these people seem I don't know, mysterious or dangerous or off kilter or something like that. Something that is not of us. Well, yeah, it's, it, as if you have a rigid belief system, as soon as you veer off just slightly, then you become othered, right? I mean, right. That, or it tends to occur. And, you know, you put mystic on there because maybe they slightly disagree on one thing that is a bit esoteric or a, mm. a bit um, – of a slightly different belief about something really big within a religion. Or it would seem to be yes. from an outsider's perspective. For this reason, you'll you'll hear scholars occasionally refer to the Dead Sea Scrolls as the library of this group. The this, this is an interesting way to look at it because we we see some strong evidence that this could happen. Not everything is written in the type of Hebrew that this group was believed to have used, you know, their uh, Aramaic is in there, Greek, Latin, and so on. But if you look at a substantial library at your local school or something, you're going in local college or whatever, you're going to find uh, multiple books in different languages, right? Mm -hmm. And they were just acquired by the institution. But then you'll hear other people say, well, there are – this is the result of multiple contributing authors across the course of centuries. There's no one group that wrote these and that's that's a debate that continues today. I just have to say that yeah. makes sense to me but, you know, I, I'm not a scholar. That it be that, – that would be a library. It's a palimpsest in a way or, yeah. you know, it's, it's – there were different authors from possibly different regions throughout, you know, I don't know, who knows, decades. It's a long time. Yeah. Right. So while scholars still go back and forth about the identity of all the authors of the scrolls, it's pretty easy to agree on the content. Luckily, since since shortly after 1946, we have literally had uh, members of our species working around the clock to, uh, to to figure out what on earth these things actually say. Yeah, as we, as we mentioned there, it's a lot of it's written in, in versions of Hebrew. There's also some writing in Aramaic, some in Greek, some in Latin. And the scrolls themselves can be divided up into three rough sections. Let's say three sections. There's stuff from content, at least, from the Old Testament. There's all kinds of information in there that would match up and it matches up pretty pretty well mm -hmm. with, with the Old Testament of the Bible. There's also slightly alternative versions of existing biblical writings in there, especially Old Testament stuff. Conversations that may not have made it into what is considered the you know canonical version of the, those religious works. Right? Exactly. And there's also some a little more mundane things like um, texts that's relating to everyday life, stuff that is occurring in that area with the people who live there, traditional practices of, of those peoples. And a lot of this stuff is written in Greek and in Latin, which again, like kind of painting a picture of, okay, well, maybe these different authors are interested in recording different things here. Um, it's almost like an historian and a, a like you've got a religious uh, studies sect writing those first you know, the first set there and then you've got, well, I don't know, historians writing the second the second uh, set there. And then the next one is where it gets really fun. This is where it's, it's like the Revelation Scrolls, but they've got a different name. 
Right, the so-called sectarian scrolls, also known as uh, the war rule or the war scroll. This definitely came from the Essene sect. Uh, it's called the War of the Sons of Light against the Sons of Darkness. Ooh. Right. The Now, this sect believed themselves to be sort of the holy elect, the creme de la creme of Israel, and they called themselves the Sons of Light. And at some time, at the end of time specifically, they would have a catastrophic war with the enemies of Israel who were called the Sons of Darkness. This scroll is an instructional uh, an instructional piece. It's a manual for organization and strategy. It talks about battle gear. It gets down into the nitty-gritty of signals. Uh, it, call, it, it portrays a 40-year holy war and it says this will be between the forces of good and evil involving divine as well as earthly soldiers. Uh, on Yeah, and, you know, of course, infernal assistance on the other side. So this is this is fascinating because it's prophetic and apocalyptic. The Essenes themselves, by the way, to flesh this out, uh, one of the reasons that they were looked at askance is because they were generally going to be found in monastic communities and in most cases these excluded women. So these were people living specifically for the purpose of their faith or their their spiritual values. Mm. And a lot of that entailed writing things down. Yes, yes. And we're going to explore some more of that after a quick word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up... So does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. 
Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Attention, true crime enthusiasts. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right. They wrote things down. And since a lot of the stuff they wrote down predates the Bible, we can look back. You could do this side by side. There's There are projects to digitize this information. You can look side by side and see the evolution of beliefs and concepts from the time the scrolls were actually written all the way to the current translations of Bibles or other religious texts that you see used today in 2020. For example, you can see depictions of uh, narratives like what you would find in modern-day Exodus uh, or Genesis. But, 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 here's the thing. These are the earlier versions. They're different. Oh, yes. And then we mentioned Apocrypha before because there's all kinds of stuff in there about that. Uh, stories of these giants, these ancient giants from before, uh, these things called watchers, these fallen watchers. And there's all kinds of other imagery in there and um, characters that you probably wouldn't find if you opened – you cracked a Bible. Yeah, I, I was thinking of I, – I was thinking of – What's a, what's a strange comparison we can make to this experience in the modern day? Okay. All right. Uh, do you remember Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? I've heard of it. Yes, I've seen every episode. Right. Okay. So Aunt Viv mm-hmm. in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is actually two different actors, right? What? Yeah, one of them gets replaced in yeah, 1993, I, right? Yeah, I remember. I know. Matt clearly knows all of this intimately. He's... You're like the biggest Fresh Prince. I remember the episode and I know. when it changed. I was like, that is not Aunt Viv. Get out of here. There's Who are you? Glitch in the Matrix. Yeah. yeah. So for some people reading this, is it's sort of like that experience because we grow up thinking that religious texts are all, poor choice of words here, carved in stone, that they ah. do not change. You know what I mean? And now there is clear evidence that at some point, yeah, dude, they did. They still have, you know, a lot in common, right? And there is a, there is a, also a fascinating case to be made that this this stuff remains remarkably consistent, right? But it, especially when you look at the modern Christian versions, there are a lot of differences. There are things that were cut out. And that has been the uh, the root of a great, uh, great deal of research. The vast uh, 
spanning the spectrum of plausibility and credibility, I would say, because you get a lot of pseudo-historians in there, you know? Oh, yeah, exactly. And there is so much to explore in the story of the Dead Sea Scrolls, but we want to hone in on a specific story. We want to hone in on a single scroll, and we may, to be completely clear, we may return in the future to other parts of the Dead Sea story. I would love that. The Dead Sea itself, man, is a crazy place. It really is. 33% salinity. It's nuts. They also recently, uh, scientists found life at the bottom of the Dead Sea. You're saying there's life <laughs> in the bottom of the Dead Sea? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we were a little too uh, uh, quick to pull the trigger on the name. Yeah, huh? I was going to say it's time for an update. <laughs> the mostly Dead Sea. <laughs> the live bottom sea. <laughs> That's no, that's not going to work. Got probiotics at the bottom. There we go. Yogurt. Yeah, and and a and a underwater Whole Foods. Ooh, because of course. But uh, oh, also the Dead Sea is uh, receding at a precipitous rate. It's sad. Great, thanks, thanks, Ben. You're welcome. (laughs) And Australia's on fire. Yeah. Also, still. Uh, and then as we're recording this, there were a series of earthquakes in Iran, and you know some attacks. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Everything's going to be fine. I was talking to an old professor of mine recently uh, regarding geopolitical tensions in the modern world and asked him, you know, what he thought was going to happen off the record and stuff. And his answer was, you know, he said, I, I envy you young folks out there because, you know, you can make a choice and you might not ever have to deal with the consequences. And, and he said, you know, think about it. Eat what you want. Wreck a car? Tell someone you'll marry them. It doesn't matter now. He's saying we're not going to live. Yes, yes. For long. It was uh, his way of saying that you can make the most ridiculous choices because you really don't know uh, if you know if you were going to do something that would have killed you in your eighties. Is that a moot concern at this point? Oh my god, we can really live like there's no tomorrow. I th- I Tonight's think... the night. That's why all the pop songs are telling me tonight's the night. I want to also point out. I'm not going to give this professor's name. Uh, they are retired. I also want to point out. I I I, I think they're 80 percent joking. I would like to think that. And if they're not, and if you're listening. That is a horrible <laughs> take on this on the situation. Anyhow, yeah, yes, uh, we are focusing on one one specific scroll because there was a scroll discovered on March fourteenth, nineteen fifty two, and out of all of the nine hundred something Dead Sea Scrolls, this one is unique for a number of reasons. Well, firstly, it's not written on papyrus or, you know, leather or any of these other mediums that where the other ones were written or how they were – what they were written on. This one was written on a thin sheet of rolled up copper. That's crazy. A thin sheet of rolled up metal. And this thing is really, really interesting. There are several different estimates here. Um, a lot of the scholars believe that the probable range for the Copper Scrolls creation was somewhere in the period of 25 to 75 CE. And that's just looking at the, the handwriting itself when you're analyzing that. It's called uh, from a paleographical perspective. While there's this uh, person, W.F. Albright, who suggests it was probably written somewhere between 70 and 135 CE, so a little bit after that range, at least uh, when you're looking at it from from a different perspective. Um, 
it's really, really interesting because this thing is unlike the other scrolls in, in way more ways than just the medium on which it's written. Right. This scroll eschewed the trend of uh, religious content entirely and focused on something else, something that has haunted amateurs and archaeologists alike since the 50s. The Copper Scroll you see is not a guide to day-to-day life. It is not an early version of Exodus or Genesis. It's not Apocrypha. It is best described as a treasure map. Here's where it gets crazy. A treasure map, Ben? (laughs) A treasure map, Matt. No, you're right. That's exactly what this thing is. It's about as Indiana Jones as you can get. If you were to pick this up and if you were able to read it immediately, you would would just – in my mind, you would grab a big stick or a shovel or something and you would just start digging all over the place. It's intense stuff. And it's not just one treasure. No. (laughs) It's it's It's, one treasure across – what? It's all the treasure. 64 locations. Yeah, the, the treasures are, uh, are, are precious metals, gold and silver. And the text of the Copper Scroll is entirely an inventory of these locations. Six, and, and coins, right? And coins, yeah. Sorry, 63 locations are, according to the scroll, holding gold and silver. And there's a 64th location that's a little bit different. But they're talking, you know, they're making money moves here. These 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 are not uh, little burlap sacks of like five to ten pieces of silver. No, not at all. You're, you're talking talents, all kinds of talents, sometimes 50, sometimes 10, sometimes way more than that. Uh, there's one location, uh, like according to this Copper Scroll, that it holds 900 talents and – or roughly 868,000 troy ounces of buried gold. That's a lot of gold, my friends. Yes. And it is just buried in one place. But then there's gold and silver buried throughout this entire region somewhere out there. And we're going to get into where that is. But it's not just precious metals. It's not just talents or gold coins and silver coins. Uh, it's, got, it's got religious accoutrement too that's just buried out there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Tithing vessels. Other, other vessels that would be used in, uh, in religious – ceremonies, right? Also it, priestly vestments. Yeah, pre, but I want to get back to the vessels. The vessels were really fun for me because I'm going to read you a quote from one of these just so everybody can hear. Is that oh, okay, that, ben? That's perfect. I, I, I forgot this was coming. Oh, yes. just, just really quick. No, no, please, let's do it. Just speaking of vessels. So <laughs> this is officially column three. You can find this online if you want to. You can see it in there. And this is just me reading it in from an English translation. Dig down nine cubits into the southern corner of the courtyard. There will be silver and gold vessels given as offerings, bowls, cups, sprinkling basins, libation tubes, and pitchers. Altogether, they will total 609 pieces. Libation tubes. Hey, Matt, what's, what, what's a libation tube? A libation tube is anything that you pour some drink into, my friend. It could be wine. It could be any other libation. As long as you're having fun and and hopefully 
doing it in sacrament to some higher deity. Libate, right? Libate to your heart's content. Would you call that uh, Liban or would you call that Tubin? Uh, li- or Lieben? Lieben? Tubin? Annenberg? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They also, these, the, the name sounds uh, a bit funny in English, but libation tubes did serve an important purpose, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. They were connecting the living with the dead and so on. So this is incredibly important to point out though. Again, not all of the treasure was gold and silver. There were things that the community truly believed you could not put a price on, right? These priceless objects and they must be hidden from invading forces such as the Romans who of course will show up later. There's another interesting part though. At the very – toward the very end of the copper scroll, it says there's another scroll out there that has more details. It's as if they knew people would complain about the directions in the scroll, which we'll get to by the way. They're, they're laughable. Uh, but that other document, whatever it is, has yet to be found. There are experts aplenty in this field like a Theodore H. Gaster. He studied the Copper Scroll extensively and he believed that it was in fact alluding to a real treasure and that this treasure could come from one of three sources. The first of those would be treasure that was acquired by the Qumran community or the Essenes that we discussed before. It would kind of make sense just, you know, when you're thinking about all the religious accoutrement that was buried in all of these things, you can imagine that if it is a religious community, perhaps a lot of this the wealth of the gold and everything came through the form of some kind of tithing or donation or some, you know, you can imagine it was gathered in some way like that. It kind of makes sense. The next possible source of this treasure would be from the second temple in Jerusalem. However, we do have to kind of point out here that the historical record suggests that a lot of the main or the, a large amount of the main treasure that was inside that second temple was in the building when Rome came through and sacked all of Jerusalem after they breached all the walls. And it, it's a, there's a great, there's a great article on howstuffworks.com that goes kind of, it paints a really great picture Mm -hmm. of what occurred when the Romans sacked, uh, sacked Jerusalem that time. Um, It does not rule out this possibility though. There's a significant portion of the treasures that may have possibly at least, you know, this is, it's a belief, right? This is what we're talking about. This is a suggestion. A significant portion of the treasures may have been taken away from the temple because it was known that the Romans were coming through for days, right? right? So there was probably preparation to get a lot of this treasure out and hide it somewhere before they actually breached the walls. And the third idea is that this treasure came from the first temple, which was destroyed by the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, in 586 BCE. There's one problem with that though. The scroll has been dated to, as you said earlier, Matt, like 25 CE at the earliest. So it's unlikely that somebody went back and made a, a treasure map centuries later, especially when you see how it's written, you know? Yeah. But here's the thing I would point out when I was, I was reading that too. This is my suggestion and this is 
there's no weight behind this suggestion. But if the treasures were secreted away from either of the temples and kept somewhere, right, um, perhaps this uh, burying them across the land in all these varying places that you'd need to dig to find them, very much buried treasure, um, it could be an interesting strategy for hiding them a second time or maybe a third time or, you know, however many iterations these treasures had been hidden away from popular view or from the authorities' Ooh. view. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the tantalizing thing about this, right? Uh, we, we have solid, concrete, tangible proof of something and now it's it's a – Herculean mental exercise to try to plausibly and realistically connect these dots, you know. But when we talk about connecting dots, we're also talking about decoding the manuscript itself because it was written in Hebrew, but it was written in a different kind of Hebrew. And the chronology makes us assume that this was deposited later. It was possibly from a different group of people. We'll explore more of the conundrum of the Copper Scroll after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up... So does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. 
Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Attention, true crime enthusiasts searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. All right, and we're back. Now we've been talking about, you know, the origin a lot of this copper scroll, but we really, really want to answer the question, is there actual treasure out there that if, let's say, we got on a plane and ended up there in that area, could we find some talents underneath the ground somewhere? Mm-hmm. Some troy well, ounces. Well, what do you think, Ben? It's possible, but to do that, we would have to, Indiana Jones style, decipher the manuscript. Aha. So, for instance, uh, we, we said a talent. Uh, we had the equivalent there for Troy Ounce. But unsurprisingly, directions are not given in kilometers, nor are they in miles. Oh, yes. Like oh, sure. Yes, absolutely. We we mentioned this uh, when I read column three. It says, dig down nine cubits. So if, if you were to dig down nine cubits, uh, what, what the heck would that look like? Well, let's talk about it really, really quickly. Uh, a cubit is an ancient and handy measurement, and that is a pun, and we'll get to it. So let's do something fun together right now. Uh, Paul, you do this too, just so I can see if I'm telling it correctly. Uh, please take your dominant hand and stretch it directly out in front of you. All right. Okay. Now let's bend your elbow so it's 90 degrees facing upwards. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Now the length from your elbow to the middle finger, your middle finger, which is stretched out, by the way. I forgot mm-hmm. to uh, mention that. That is a cubit. Not a cubert. No, a cubit. <laughs> and here's – there's a bit of a problem here because my cubit is not exactly the same length as your cubit. It's going to be close-ish. Yeah. But it's not exactly the same. It's roughly 18 inches, somewhere around that that length or about 46 centimeters. But – this is the measurement that was used in throughout ancient history for a long, long time. And just think about how helpful this measurement is for someone, anyone who's working on either a huge project or just something maybe in their home. You can measure something out be like, I want this table to be about four cubits across. And you could measure that as you're going and, uh, you know, cut cut wood mm-hmm. to an exact measurement or a close to exact measurement. And then you could also talk with your, you know, colleagues or if you wanted to sell it, you can say this thing is, eh, it's about three, four cubits. Yeah. It's pretty cool to me. I, I didn't know that. I'm just excited to have that knowledge. It's a measuring tool that you carry with you at all times. Yeah. You don't need, you don't need a tool. Right. Or anything you are, else. You got your arm. You are the tool. Yeah. You're the tool. Tell yourself that. <laughs> Say, I am the tool. In the mirror. <laughs> so this is just one example of the 
the, the differing phrases or concepts that have to be translated, deciphered for us to launch an actual treasure hunt based on the information we find in the Copper Scroll. Spoiler alert. For some people, what you're about to hear may be very disappointing. For others in the audience today, it may be quite inspiring. And it is this. The treasure, which was almost definitely real, by which we mean real gold, real silver, you know what I mean? The the moolah, the, the good stuff, stuff you could trade on a market today. This is not like a treasure of like, oh, the friends we made along the way. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, oh, this is a child's doll that was really important to a person who died. Yeah, it, just to point out here, it doesn't make sense for someone, anyone, to take the time and effort and resources to inscribe in that copper scroll all of the information that is on there if it's just some mythical thing mm-hmm. that there's no actual treasure. All of, Like, why would you do that? So that's the spoiler alert. This treasure, which again is overwhelmingly likely to be a real thing, it has never been found, not, as far as we know, a single piece of it. Not even the, like, not even the idea of a single piece of gold or silver. Not a single piece of one of those vessels that was mentioned. No, no libation tube, etc. Yeah, there's a, there's a guy who allegedly found some tiny little, a couple of small pieces, but it was not like... Well, he found a rock, right? I think so. Uh, there, they said yeah. it was man-made. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. People, this hasn't stopped people from searching, of course. Um, but why hasn't it been found? That's that's the craziest question. First, which I think we mentioned earlier uh, when we were talking about the possible origin of the treasure, we have to think of the sheer passage of time. It is plausible that sometime between modern-day exploration and excavation and the time that these things were originally written or the time this treasure was originally buried, it's completely possible any that any number of people looted the, the bejesus out of the thing, you know? Yeah, but why would you leave the copper scroll behind? Well, the scroll clearly wasn't next to the treasure. It's supposed to tell you where to go. Yeah, but you'd use the treasure... You'd have to take it with you, right? Well, what if you just found the treasure and you never found the scroll? Oh. You know what I mean? Oh. So but this stuff is like nine cubits. You have to dig like nine cubits. Well, we also have to remember, for instance, the, our prime suspect for a contemporaneous looting operation would have been the Roman community. And the Romans at the time, uh, standard operating procedure was to torture people to get information. That's true. So they could have found... Uh, one. I mean, that's also why the treasure was not put in one location. Yes. Right? So maybe it was a situation where outside of the authors of the Copper Scroll, most people didn't know. You know, they probably had pretty good operational security. Most people didn't know where the other 64 or, excuse me, 63 things were. That is really smart to split it up as much as they did. Yeah. Well, if this was uh, – if this was a treasure from the Second Temple, it was very much not the first rodeo. You yeah. know what I mean? There yeah. were lessons learned. So the other idea is that there may have been a cover-up of some sort that was successful and that the people responsible for hiding the gold and silver did a great job. But outside of the Copper Scroll and this other unidentified or undiscovered document, they just 
never shared the information with others or they passed away or the people they told the secret to. At some point, communication between generations failed. Mm. Add to that, the vagueness of this scroll can be maddening. I, this is, if I may, I'm going to read just an excerpt from the yes, scroll, please. some instructions to, uh, to one of the treasure locations. We want to see what you think. I'm just going to read it without, other than saying it's vague. In the salt pit that is under the steps, 41 talents of silver. In the cave of the old washer's chamber, on the third terrace, 65 ingots of gold. What's the old washer's chamber? Huh. You know what I mean? Dude, I'm, I'm telling you, I f- have such a feeling about this. It was an internal document. Yeah. It was it, – this is what I'm, I'm feeling. And I remember as I was reading through – you can find a couple of places online where you can read translations of the full scroll. Mm-hmm. And it really does go on like that. Like that's pretty much what Ben just read. It's, it's like 12 columns of that. Um, and it feels like somebody within a group of people recording um, with places – like that, like mm-hmm. the old washers, whatever, or this specific cave that doesn't have an exact, you know, the name is a little strange. It doesn't match up historically with any other cave. Sure. They, everybody in that insular group knows all these places intimately uh-huh. and they know exactly where to go and where to dig and everything, but they're just keeping a record of it or somebody within it is the record keeper of it. Sure. Yeah. You could, it just totally, it totally makes sense. I mean, that makes, yeah, it does make sense. I I agree with you. The first thing this made me think of through analogy was the experience that you have if you have ever given or received directions in very small towns. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, you may have something that sounds really clear, like take Main Street and then take a left on Colquitt at the corner of the Arby's, why the Arby's or something. But you may also have something like go about, I don't go a mile till you get to where the old mill burned down. Yes. And then, you know, there should be a post office box. Yeah. Um, and then you go at, I think. I think you go for about three miles until you get where the Tillmans used to live, mm-hmm. and then you take a right there. See, for us, just where Ben and, and Nolan, Paul, and I live, it's so much easier to give directions to anyone because you can just pinpoint different Waffle Houses, All and you right. can just – once you know where the Waffle Houses are, then you can tell anybody how to get anywhere. It's a very convenient reference point. But our point is, who can guess if it is indeed an internal document – who has the foresight to say thousands of years ago the old washer's chamber was <laughs> I mean clearly where else would you put a washer's chamber? But in you know, in what I was saying just last thing, yeah, yeah. Uh, you'd have to prove that the old washer's chamber existed somewhere near where the scroll was discovered rather than maybe where the scroll was written or originally, you know, the area that it's speaking to. It still may you know what it still makes me think though of modern English has ruined my understanding of these sorts of translations. Yeah. Because in American English, whenever somebody throws the phrase the old in front of something, it sounds like a euphemism. The old washer's chamber. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Yes, I do know what you mean. Is this some sort of strange metaphor for the old washer's chamber? Is that like a move (laughs) people do? I think it is. Uh, the old washer chamber. Well, it sounds – it does sound like a place. Well, I, maybe it was just written by an old prospector. 
Maybe it was written by the original Foghorn Leghorn. But despite this vagueness, people have insisted on searching. Why would you not? You know, you could be a part of one of the greatest discoveries in in history, the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? In 1962, we saw one of the largest, most extensive hunts for the treasures of the Copper Scroll. It was led by a man named John Allegro. He followed some of the places listed in the scroll and did their best. He and his team did their best to figure out where they would be in the modern day. They excavated a ton of potential burial places, but eventually they gave up and they returned empty-handed. There was a more recent excavation or exploration attempt by a man named Jim Barfield. And Jim Barfield is interesting because he doesn't – he believes that the treasure was not actually gold and silver. He believes that the primary – quote-unquote, loot of the treasure would be uh, the vessels and utensils of the lost temple. And so he did something interesting. He applied triangulation techniques, right? He was kind of cross-referencing these ancient texts and the references that the Copper Scroll made in different locations Mm -hmm. because they're all kind of in the same area. So smart, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's very smart. And it's it's the way that I would do it. And the reason why it's interesting that this guy, Jim Barfield, did it is because he he doesn't speak Hebrew. He's not Jewish. Uh, he's just a guy who's essentially like a treasure hunter or, you know, and someone with an interest in this who had some time and resources and just used a technique that like an investigator would use basically. Yeah. Um, really, really cool stuff. And – so he, he thinks he actually found some of these locations in the surrounding area in, in Qumran. And there's this breaking news Israel report that – Which is not the best source. It's not. Uh, I will give you that. But let's just, let's just give a quote from that, that article about his investigation. It says, quote, in 2007, he, Barfield, went to Qumran and actually found those locations. In one case, the scroll describes steps – 40 cubits long, heading east. Barfield did indeed find stairs conforming to the description. He also discovered the remains of a pool precisely 40 cubits long, exactly where the scroll said it would be. However, there is always a twist here, a reason why we couldn't fulfill what was going to occur, finding all this treasure, uh, quote, but lacking government permission, he could go no further. Yeah. Yep. So those are the two most prominent expeditions and they both didn't produce anything that was universally agreed to be the treasure. That's the best way to say it. Well, yeah, and we – humanity, at least to our knowledge that has been recorded, has not recovered anything material, right, from any of these. Right. I I believe in one of Barfield's investigations, he found a rock that was provably man-made. So, so at his at this point, he's he's focusing on matching up physical locations and structures or ruins. Yes, right. And and so he's not immediately going after gold because again, he thinks the treasure, quote unquote, is a different thing. But all this all this together, astute listeners, you'll notice that the last line from Barfield was he could go no further because he lacked government permission. This brings us to. 
the possibility or the proposed possibility of a cover-up. Because, you see, there is no secret that there is a war over history in the Middle East. Given the historical tension and volatility of the region, the government has been very careful about who they allow to search this area and when and how. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like if you bring in potentially damaging equipment, you could lose humanity's one shot to figure out some of the mysteries here. Well, and imagine that you're a treasure hunter who doesn't live in the area and you find a treasure and you want to take it out of that area and you're going to go through customs or something or, you know, you're going to claim that it is a treasure and you have to claim that it's a treasure in order to uh, establish where you found it, when you found it, that you're the one that found it, how important it is, that it's real and authentic. You have to say that. You have to raise your hand and say, hey, I found treasure. Unless you want to go into the illegal black market. Yeah, Yeah, I know, which is something you can do. However, it's it's difficult because then you're getting things verified, you know, after the fact, uh, which is a whole – it's a whole different animal. I'm I'm big in black market uh, antiquities. (laughs) I'm always grateful that you're here. When, when we're doing these shows because, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the lessons you've learned, you've learned the hard way. I really have. Oh, right. my goodness. But we can't get into that for legal reasons. So let's just, okay. let's just say um, it would be difficult because if you, you do find something in this region, you raise your hand and you say, hey, I found treasure, then there, it's not just going to be the local authorities, you know, that are going to no. claim ownership over this thing. no. Uh, it'll be uh, academic institutions. In this case, it'll be religious institutions mm-hmm. as well. Uh, Barfield said that he believes he 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 clearly believes he was on the right track, and he clearly believes he was being stymied in his search. But he thought there was a good reason. He said if he discovered anything of value, it would lead to uh, what I would call a real ship show. Because we're a a family broadcast. Uh, And here's what he said. He says – he predicted that Jordan would claim the land used to belong to them if there was something of value discovered. He said uh, Palestinians will claim they were here before this other group so that therefore they'll say whatever they found belongs to us. And then the world will believe them, according to Barfield. He says, you know, Egypt will come along and say uh, that there was a treasure that uh, was taken from the land of Egypt during the Exodus. And he says, ultimately, by keeping it in the ground, the Israeli government is protecting it. It's a very interesting way to allege a cover-up, you know? Oh, yeah. It's certainly interesting. <laughs> so – I don't know. Uh, should we – do we need to get into anything else, Ben? I just kind of want to talk a little bit about like what uh, what you think personally about this thing. Can we get into opinion? What I what I think about the the treasure? Yeah, the, the scrolls, like the treasure. What do, you, what do you think? It might still be out there. You really think so? Quite possibly. I mean it's, it's possible that it was all looted. It's, it's – it's not plausible to assume that all of these different locations survived. It is mm-hmm. possible that a few did. Yeah. Because the only way they would all they would all have been found were if they were eventually all 64 were f- 
First off, we're assuming all 64 actually exist. If all 64 were found one by one or if somebody found that second more detailed document and then went through and somehow did all of this in secret and it was forgotten, you know? This is my – this is what I put to you because I I like what you're saying there. I think – I think that that copper scroll where it was found was essentially just discarded there or just left there for record keeping at some point. Just we've got this collection of scrolls. Here's another one. It's just going to be there. Uh, This is where it lives now because we've already used it to find everything. Uh, We don't need it anymore. And that second document, like you said, was kept by the people that recovered all of the treasure because it was, I believe that it was from probably the second temple. And you think it was an inside job? No, I, I think <laughs> I think it was just, I think we essentially got, it's a receipt or uh, it's the the old instructions of like, okay, we've, uh, we've accomplished yeah, yeah, yeah. this. We've collected everything. We don't need it anymore. We'll just leave those instructions there. It doesn't matter if anyone finds any of these bury, burial places anymore because we've already recovered everything. And then, yeah, I could, I could see that. I could definitely see that, but I do like the idea that it was an inside job and that there were two documents, uh, two scrolls, and then one person totally betrayed everybody, took the second, second scroll, scroll and dipped. Yeah. I doubt that I doubt that's the case, but it would make for um it would make for a compelling narrative. This is also taking we have to realize too that anything of this age is it it, it, it the value we ascribe to it is only partially financial and it's only a very small part of it. The real value becomes uh, uh, an historical value mm-hmm. and that's where we see the import there. It can prove, confirm or debunk things that we believe about history today and it could also provide evidence of various various stories that have been traditionally told and that that treasure any treasure if discovered would immediately become significant in the in the war over history you know the war yeah. over uh who gets what when and this you know this continues across the world uh, but the middle east especially has a it's such an ancient land it's been home to immense conflicts over historical claims religious sites who has the right to go where, when, and so on. As of now, we're in a glass half full, half empty situation. You can say that the treasure was looted long ago and lost the time, or you, as you are listening, may be the person to discover the lost treasure of the Dead Sea Copper Scroll. If you'd like to read more of the Dead Sea Scrolls directly, then feel free to drop by places like the Leon Levy Dead Sea Scrolls Digital Library, which is digitizing the entire collection of 970-something manuscripts and uploading them to the internet for global access. And there are books like the Complete Dead Sea Scrolls in English that you can find. Um, That one was written, I believe it was Geza Vermes, V-E-R-M-E-S, Vermes. You can find something like that. There's also the Dead Sea Scrolls reappraisal. It's uh, from John Allegro. It's the one that Ben mentioned. You can find that stuff if you want to learn more about this right now. You can also continue the conversation with us and the best part of this show, your fellow listeners. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Instagram. Find us on Twitter. We are Conspiracy Stuff, Conspiracy Stuff Show, or some derivation thereof. Yeah, Conspiracy Stuff on Twitter and Facebook, Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram. 
And if you don't want to do that, you can give us a call. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. Give us a call, leave us a message. You got three minutes, but you can just keep calling back however many times you want. But one is the magic number. If you can do it in three minutes, it's amazing for, for me <laughs> at least, <laughs> even though I want to hear your longer stories too. Um, just time. Time is such a currency. My goodness, it's such a currency. Um if you don't want to do any of that stuff, you can shoot us a good old-fashioned email. Recently, we've been getting lots of fantastic suggestions from you. So continue to do that, please. We love it, and it will send us down the rabbit holes that we so very much want to travel through. And we can bring you back the nuggets sure. from the rabbit holes. Rabbit, yeah, rabbit, rabbit hole nuggets. nuggets. Yeah, sure. Well, that's all right. We'll just uh, get some of the libation tubes. I really did not know that libation tubes were meant to pour liquid mm-hmm. into a grave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not know that. That's libin, man. It's tubin. Libin tubin. But a libation tube for me is just anything you pour alcohol into. All right. <laughs> that's tubular. Yeah, so tubular. All right. So let's let's get out of this one. Um, if you don't want to do that stuff, send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Attention, true crime enthusiasts. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. 
Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.